Welcome to the Case for Safety podcast. Our conversations with safety experts aim to share ideas and insights you can use to help your organization benefit from efforts to improve worker safety and health. I'm your host, Scott Fowler. Conducting an occupational safety and health management system audit provides valuable information on the effectiveness of your system at preventing injuries and illnesses, how your workers operate within that system, and where you may be able to improve. Joining us here today to talk about conducting an OHSMS audit, we're uh, glad to have back uh, Ken Clayman. Ken is lead associate at Booz Allen Hamilton and a safety management specialist with more than 30 years of experience in environmental, health, safety, and quality management. Ken, uh, welcome. Thank you so much for coming back on the show. Thanks, Scott. Good to be back. Okay, great. Uh, let's get started. Now, uh, when uh, we had you on last time, we talked about uh, planning an OHSMS audit and everything that goes into that. So today, we're going to kind of talk listeners through the process of, of putting that plan in, into action and, and conducting your audit. So after you've developed that audit plan, you know, how do you, you know, take it from there? What's the next step for putting that plan into action as you begin to conduct your audit? Great. Yeah, the... the... The audit plan is is the is the linchpin of the, of the audit because it lays out what you are going to do. It informs the uh, the audit client as to what they can expect, and so the next step really is implementing that plan. Um, that means that the audit team is going to conduct the audit, which is involves collecting the information, the data, the evidence that demonstrates whether or not the management system is meeting the, the criteria that has been established, which in this case, we're talking about ISO 45001. It would be the organization's own policies and procedures and processes and how those, how those processes interact. So typically an audit starts with some kind of a, an opening, whether it's a formal opening meeting or a less formal briefing that typically involves people like the audit program manager or coordinator. It often involves the management uh, of the area that's being involved. We're talking about an internal audit or just the management of the organization if we're talking about an external type of audit. And during that time, you're, you're going over the plan, verifying that everybody's comfortable with it, allow time for questions and answers. Um, if there's anything to discuss in terms of how you're going to conduct the audit, and then you're going to, to review that as well. But it's usually a meeting that doesn't last more than about a half hour. And then, then you just get into the uh, audit evidence collection activities. Okay, uh, great segue there. And I'm sure uh, a lot of this will have to do with, as you mentioned, you know, what, what you've established in your audit plan. But as you get into the audit, uh, what are some of the most crucial elements of conducting an effective audit? What are some examples of the types of things auditors should be looking for? And, you know, as you get into that part of the process, what are the keys to really making sure that you're going to get what you want out of the audit process? Sure, we, we tend to break it down to about seven activities or steps, if you will. Um, the first one is what I just talked about, the opening meeting or briefing, giving giving a, the overview of what, what the audit's going to involve, uh, allowing people of the organization or the area that you're auditing to hear about it. it may, in some of those cases, it may be the first time they're getting exposure to the audit itself, other than the, uh, the audit coordinator that you've been working with. 
then you're talking about the communications during the audit. You need to, even in the opening meeting, you're, you're, you're establishing who's going to be the one or two points of contact that the audit team will be working with throughout the audit period, um, how you're going to communicate things, particularly when you may find nonconformities and that sort of thing, uh, who's going to receive uh, information as you move along through the audit, how the reporting is going to be done, and who's going to be involved in get, uh, receiving that report. Also making sure that you're establishing, you know, verifying and establishing roles and responsibilities, particularly of the guides and observers. Uh, in any audit, uh, there is typically escorts or guides that are with audit team members. Those are usually people from the organization or from the areas in which that the audit is being conducted, but they are not doing the audit. They're just getting the auditors to and from the places they need to be, getting them information. And then observers may be people either from the auditor, audit team itself, where you might have auditors that are in training and they're there to observe the audit to learn how to do it, or they could be observers from the audit or the organization or group being audited, and they're there to watch and learn and to help verify things as you go along. Um, but they need to understand what their role is in the audit. And typically their role is to watch, to listen, and but not participate directly in the audit. When there's downtime, observers or guides can ask questions, but typically they're not actively participating during the evidence collection activities itself. And then the most important part, I would say, is collecting and verifying the information. Um, we do that essentially through three activities. Reviewing documents, or, or in this case, documented information. We do it through interviews of people who are implementing the system or have other roles and responsibilities in the system. And lastly, observing the operations and activities that uh, demonstrate implementation of the system. We're doing that, to, we're using that information to compare against the criteria, whether it's the standard, whether it's the organization's processes and procedures, to verify that what is being done, what people understand, aligns with those requirements. And then that that's, goes into the next item, which is generating the findings. We compare our audit evidence or our information that we collect against our criteria to determine whether or not there's conformance. When it doesn't line up, then we are seeing non-conformance. We use all that information that we collect and the findings that we generate to determine our audit conclusions, which is the sixth step of the seven that I talked about. Conclusions are using the audit evidence and the findings, comparing that against the objectives of the audit that we laid out in the audit plan and determining whether or not we've achieved those objectives. And lastly, we have a closing meeting or briefing where we bring back the same people that we had in the opening meeting and possibly others who were involved in, in the audit uh, activities. And we go through what, what occurred as a result of the audit. What were the findings? What was the information? What are the conclusions uh, based on all that information? So those are the basic activities that we make sure that we hit 
that drives an effective audit. Okay. You talk a lot there about the the information gathering, which really, you know, when it comes down to it is what auditing is all about. So when you're trying to gather, you know, so much information from so many people and document so many different things, what what are some of the tools that auditors can use to gather that information that will be most useful to them in assessing the performance of the system, identifying gaps, areas of improvement, and help move that process along to a successful conclusion? Okay. As I mentioned, there's there's three elements of collecting audit evidence or audit information that we use, which is, as I said, the interviews, reviewing documented information, and observing operations and activities. We use those three basic approaches to collect this information. So as an example, if we start off reviewing documented information, it tells us certain things about how the system is designed and what should be happening in terms of managing our occupational health and safety and other risks that have been identified as part of that management system. It also tells us whether or not the organization has established the processes that are necessary to have an effective management system. So we use that information as a basis, say, to go and talk to uh, various staff in the organization to determine whether or not they understand those processes and procedures. Uh, in, In many cases, how well they're implementing the processes and procedures and whether their implementation lines up with the requirements. And more importantly, whether or not the implementation is effectively controlling the risks or taking advantage of the opportunities that the organization has identified for itself. We can use observations of the operations to also determine whether or not the information we got from one of the other two sources, interviews or documented information, as to whether or not that also is effectively managing risk, is achieving continual improvement, uh, is you know it's part of the objectives of a, of a management system audit could be looking at the culture. Are we seeing a change in the culture of the organization as a result of the management system implementation? So those could be identified in objectives. And of course, we want to collect the evidence that shows whether or not we're achieving the objectives. So we also use that that type of approach to verify the information that we collect because we can't really make determinations of conformance or even Uh, draft our conclusions unless we've developed verified evidence. So we use one thing, such as the documented information reviews, to get us started. We'll use interviews or observations to verify what we learn in that review, in that documented information review. So all these things work together to help us determine if that system is working as designed and that that implementation of the system is effectively managing the risks or uh, taking advantage of opportunities and achieving a continual improvement and in a what some call a safety excellence culture. Okay, you mentioned about uh, conducting interviews. I know conducting those worker interviews is is a big part in the information gathering process. So. What are some good examples of questions that should be asked when conducting an audit as you're conducting these worker interviews? 
Great question. And that's a really important aspect of doing an effective audit is how you uh, formulate your questions when you're when you're doing the interviews. And essentially what we want to do as auditors is to focus in on the open ended type of questions, those questions that induce our interviewee to talk more and have us as auditors listen more. And that's the thing about auditing is that you shouldn't, the auditor shouldn't be doing most of the talking. It should be the interviewee uh, doing most of that, that type of work. And the open-ended type questions are the type of questions starts with what, why, how, where, and when, you know, it's, it's, it leaves it as, as the, as the term says, it leaves it open to the interviewee to talk about the subject matter that you asked the question on. But we can use other types of questions as well. A good interview involves opening up with open-ended questions and continue to use those throughout the discussion. But we also use other types of questions such as close-ended, which are the types that tend to induce yes-no type of responses to verify things that we hear from the open-ended question responses and to confirm that the information that they gave us is what it is that we're hearing. Because the other thing to keep in mind in audits is that we need to be documenting the audit. And you and what that means is auditors are taking notes throughout the audit. Um, so it's very important that when we're interviewing in particular, that we start with open-ended questions, we continue to use them, but pepper the, the discussion with some other types of, of questions, such as the close-ended, to verify certain points. It's also very important that auditors listen carefully because the information that an interviewee provides, particularly from an open-ended question, could lead you on other trails or open up other trails that you need to follow because they fit the objectives of the audit, they fit the objectives of your part of the audit if you're working as a team and that you need to pursue. Um, and that's something that auditors have to kind of do, uh, you know, be quick on their feet about uh, when they're in an audit is determine what trails they need to follow. And that's based on what it is uh, we're trying to get out of the audit itself. So we, we're constantly evaluating the information in our heads as to whether or not we follow certain trails, we postpone certain trails, or we don't follow a trail because it doesn't help us to achieve our goals. So, you know, things that we tend to ask people are along the lines of, or at least I'll say a, a, a something I like to open up an interview with is, tell me about your work. Tell me about what you do. Because that just gets the person talking. And then you can direct the interview by asking other questions about, okay, well, how does that relate to health and safety issues? Or you can ask them directly, what kind of risk does that involve that, you know, could hurt you or your fellow workers if you don't do it a certain way. So it helps you to, 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 to open up a conversation and then also to direct the conversation. And that's, in my experience as an auditor, that's how you get an effective audit and an effective interview. Okay, something uh, something you touched on earlier is the importance of communication throughout the audit process. And I was curious, 
about what that communication process should be between, you know, auditors, safety professionals, management, and others, you know, as the audit is being conducted? Is is that an iterative process where auditors are communicating issues as they're identified, or is that something that takes place after the audit's complete? A little bit of both. Kind of talk me through ideally how communication should work throughout that process. Okay, great. That's another good question. The communications that we talk about are those that occur between the audit team and particularly the audit team leader and the relevant contacts among the auditee group or organization. Typically, you have a single point of contact, maybe two points of contact at most for an organization or a group that you're going to be auditing. The idea is that the lead, the team lead, audit team leader, and that one or two points of contact have regular communications throughout the audit. Uh, It could be both formalized in terms that they schedule the time. And typically, um, if it's a multi-day audit, there's going to be a period of time set aside, usually at the end, towards the end of an audit day, where the audit team gets together with the points of contact and goes over what happened during that day. And in particular, they do go over the findings that are in development so that uh, it gives the auditee or the audit points of contact an opportunity to present additional evidence that allows them to show that they are indeed conforming where there might have been an indication of nonconformance. There's also, as I mentioned, you have guides or escorts that go along with the auditors as they're doing the audits. So each of the audit team members, if it's more than one auditor involved, has that escort to communicate with throughout the audit day. And they and the auditor should be presenting information or showing information to the guide or escort that shows in particular where there may be evidence of nonconformance to give them, again, an opportunity to ask people within their own organization whether or not there's other evidence that the auditor may not have specifically asked for in their interviews or through their observation activities. So there's a lot of points of contact. And then, of course, the opening and closing meetings are two important major elements of, of contact. So the communications are ongoing. Now, another point of the issue is that if there is a serious condition identified by an auditor that could lead to harm of themselves or others, it is the auditor's obligation to inform whether it's the escort or the points of contact or otherwise uh, immediately of that type of condition. So that would be another communication activity that needs to be confirmed and and, uh, understood right from the outset of an audit. If an auditor encounters a condition or a situation where they're they're uh, they think it's of you know serious nature and possible imminent harm or something like that, the first step is to get themselves and whomever they are with out of harm's way. Okay. Anything else you'd like to add about uh, auditing? What uh, makes a successful audit? As as we wrap up. Yeah, I, I mean, I. The one thing I did miss uh, miss out on saying with the communications element is that um, I, I did mention that whenever there is uh, evidence that is indicating actual or possible nonconformance, 
that is something that must be communicated pretty quickly. The whole idea there is that the auditee should never be surprised about findings. In other words, you don't hold that back until the end of the audit. It's something you want to communicate on a fairly uh, regular type of basis. And that's why we talk in terms of communicating it to escorts as well as communicating it to the primary points of contact on a regular basis. Like I said, on a multi-day audit, we usually have a, uh, a end of the day out briefing type of thing where we would communicate that if uh, it would, or it would verify the information we found and say, this is definitely a non-conformance or it's not. But, you know, it should never be a last second kind of thing. Like, oh, by the way. So that's important. The, the communications is an important aspect of an effective audit, as is the types of interview questions that you use, as is the extent of documented information you review, as is the level and extent of observations that you make within the time frame that you have and with, in accordance with your audit plan and objectives. It's a very good point. I think uh, that's a that's a, a good note to close out on here. Uh, thank you so much again for coming on, Ken. I uh, hope our, our listeners will take our conversation today and think about it as they uh, uh, prepare for uh, conducting their next uh, OHSMS audit. So thank you again. Thanks a lot, Scott. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Case for Safety podcast. Be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You can also connect with us at ASSP.org. And follow us on Twitter at ASSP Safety. We'll see you next time.